as uh, Kelly had mentioned, uh, we had to call an audible on Thursday. Um, our, our daughter was in the, the hospital, our youngest one. She had a severe asthma attack on, earlier this week, and so she was there for a few days. And so we're really glad that she's not there any longer. She got out uh, yesterday, and so she's here bouncing around, full of life, and uh, somebody had mentioned, like, hey, I'm glad to be here just to be able to see Frankie, and um, so me too. <laughs> So I'm, I'm glad to be here to see Frankie as well. Um, but hey, if you have a Bible, uh, we are going through the Gospel of Luke. So you can turn to Luke chapter uh, 6. We're in the middle of Luke chapter 6. And um, a really quick thing is if you uh, want to, you can grab some cards out in the front uh, to invite people. On the back of it, it says, hey, what are you doing? Well, it doesn't say hey, but says, what are you doing Sunday? If it said, hey, it would be a little, maybe a little abrasive, but it would be an attention grabber for sure. So, uh, but it has our infor information and everything on there, so you can grab those. Um, years ago, and, and, and kind of in, in reference to the text that we're going to get in, is we're going through uh, the, Luke 6, and, and basically through Luke 6, there is um, all of this... Uh, it's what we'd call um, the, the Sermon on the Plain, or in, in Matthew uh, 6 and 7, it's the Sermon on the Mount. And we looked at the first half of it last week, and, and we're getting into this part now where uh, a lot of people ha might look at this section of Scripture and, and think, man, Christians are like such weak people. Uh, and probably for some, and, and there's some validity to that. I mean, uh, God, Jesus said, hey, I came to, to heal the sick. I came to be with those that were in need of help. And so those of us that gather on a Sunday, many of us that come into this place, we recognize like, hey, I need help in my life. I, I need God, God's peace and his, his love and his mercy and his grace, graciousness and his kindness towards me. I need his strength to get through the day. Um, but then there's also kind of a, a viewpoint where, and, and I, I remember talking to a friend before where he just kind of made Jesus out to be what we would call or what we would know as a pacifist. Um, and uh, looking at the scriptures today, um, he, he would take that and, and as we just get into it, um, we'll, we'll see where this is going. But I remember him saying, oh, Jesus is a pacifist and so I too. And so he was like on the pacifist bandwagon. He was like, I'm just going to turn the other cheek to anything and everything. And I, I was like, well... And I kind of pushed him on this a bit. And, and maybe this wasn't, you know, maybe this is a little antagonistic. I was like, buddy, like, what if somebody, like, in, invaded into your home and was armed and just wanted to, like, slaughter your family? And that's not a, a fun thing to think about. And, but his response would be, I would turn the other cheek. And I would be like, first of all, you're nuts. You're crazy. Second of all, and we kind of went back and forth, and he, I was like, so you don't think that, like, you should defend your family? You don't think that you, like, should, you know, do what's necessary to protect them or, you know, uh, you know c 
come combat at this? And he's like, no, I think because of, of the, what the scriptures say, you should just like turn the other cheek and just like uh, God's in control. And so we'll just let God do whatever he wants. And I'll, and I'll just I'll, I'll just lay down and, and, and do whatever. And I was like, second of, okay, first of all, you're crazy. Second of all, if that happens, call me because I will storm your house for you. And he's like, ah. and we kind of went back and forth. But in a way, I kind of see where he's coming from. And I think sometimes Jesus is made into this pacifist. And, and it's not that at all. It really is that Jesus is coming from a, a point in a, in, a, in a reference of grace and of mercy. Uh, but yet he's still just and he's still strong and mighty too. So let's kind of jump into this. So Jesus, he's talking to the multitudes of people, kind of directing this towards the, the apostles in which he had appointed in our text last week. And uh, he's already kind of laid out these four uh, blessed are you, and then these four woe are you. So he's kind of laid this groundwork for us to consider like, what does it look like to live a blessed life, to live the Christian life, to live as a follower of Jesus. And so now he goes and he says, but I say to you who hear, so everybody who's listening, everybody who has turned their ears to hear this, so those within the multitude there in the scriptures, but also for those of us here today who are reading this together, it says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, lend, and hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. And then at the end of it, he says, Judge not... And you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will it be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. We're going to stop right there. We'll, we'll pick it up in the, at the rest of uh, this sermon on the plane or these these 30 verses of of he's basically just laying out what does christian ethics look like and all of us to some degree have some sort of ethics have some sort of basis in which we say hey this is the way in which i'm going to live my life 
And, and you know, that might be living in a dog-eat-dog world. I have two little dogs, and they totally bring this to life. So we have, uh, and one is quickly becoming not a little dog. So we have a, a little miniature poodle. Her name's Mabel. And she's about 11 pounds, and she's four years old. Like, she just... It, she is what she is now. Like she's kind of a little bit stubborn in her ways. She didn't. She was kind of an only fur child for a while. And then this year, in moving to Texas, we made this deal with our girls. Hey, if we move to Texas, if we get a bigger backyard, this, that, and the other thing, we're gonna get another dog because they've been bugging us for a second dog for since the first day we got our first dog. And so we got this uh, little, she's a sheep-a-doodle. So she's a sheepdog and a poodle. Uh, we, we tend to go for the doodles because they're supposed to be a little bit more, uh, uh, less aggressive on the, the pet dander and all the allergies and things like that. Well, her name is Dolly. And her name is Dolly and she is about three and a half, four months old. And she, when we got her, she was smaller than Mabel. She was only like eight pounds. She was this little thing. But within the last like month and a half that we've had her, she's now, she's probably almost two and a half times the size of Mabel. But she is a little kid. She's this little toddler kid that runs around and she's crazy and she's totally, and she's brought out the crazy in Mabel, where it literally is a dog-eat-dog world, where every morning around 7.30, they come out from their little caves of where they sleep and they just run around and they bite each other on the neck. They just like totally bite each other on the neck. They bite their, their ears and they just drag them all around the whole thing and then we kick them outside and they run around and do all that stuff and then they come back in and they're still super crazy. The, our little dolly, or kind of sort of me medium-sized, getting larger dolly, she's going to get to about probably 60 pounds. She just wants to just run and play and be crazy. And, and for some of us, we, we kind of take life at that too. We're, we're just living in this kind of dog-eat-dog world where we're just kind of just kind of running around and maybe sometimes uh, nipping at this or nipping at that and we, we're, we're, we might be easily triggered like uh, a little dog. Um, but Jesus says, hey, what, what does love have to do? What does love have, how does love play into our lives? And he, and he says one of the greatest indications of love is that we would love those who don't love us. We would love those who contend with us, that are adversarial to us. Those who are just your enemies. Those who might hate you. And those are strong words. And, and, and so you could see how, if you look at what Jesus is saying, just in completely in a myopic sort of way, you're like, oh, Jesus, that sounds so weak. That sounds so pacifist. But what he's really getting at is it takes the bigger person, it takes the stronger person, it takes the, the more disciplined person, the person with love and patience and joy, the person who looks at life in a way where we don't feel like life is always ripping us off or everybody's always against us. It takes that type of person empowered by the Spirit of God to live out our lives where we say, hey, I can love the people around me. And he, and he kind of just briefly throws in that, that golden rule in there, right? He, in verse 31, and, and this is the, the memory verse for the kids this week, 
He says, and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. So that kind of gives us a reference and allows us to see, man, how do we want to be treated? That's how we can treat other people. So we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to be treated into where, where everybody just kind of rolls over and does everything that we want all the time. And we can just be, you know, this mean, nasty person to everyone. And they're just like, oh yeah, whatever you want. No, that's probably not the way any of us want to live, but the way that we want to treat people is with dignity, with respect, with kindness. We want people to treat us that way, right? We want people to treat us with, with respect, with dignity, with kindness. We want people to treat us in a way where they see the value in us as humans. They see the value in us as a person. And so when you might be at odds with one another, how are we going to react? How are we going to go about that? And there's plenty of people that we probably disagree with. There's people that we probably disagree with uh, on a political level. There's people that we disagree with on an ethical level. There's people that we disagree with on, maybe on a, on a work level. Um, I, I remember there, my, my, my mother, when we were growing up, she was a welder. Um, she had my dad, my dad was a pipe fitter when I was growing up, and um, she asked my dad, hey, will you teach me how to weld? Um, because she knew that if she had that sort of trade in her back pocket, she could uh, provide for her and her boys if anything was to kind of go awry. And there was some seasons in our life where uh, my parents uh, were separated. And so my mom had to provide for her three little boys. And so she had learned how to weld. And so she got a job at this, this factory as a welder. And in the midst of, and, and you can imagine, it's the early 90s. Uh, and there's probably not too many women that are welders at that time. Probably not too many women that are welders at this time, uh, but she uh, was, was good at her craft and she was really great at that, but she continually faced a lot of opposition within the workplace. And I remember watching her kind of come home and I was just a 12 year old kid, like I didn't, I mean, I, I couldn't really see past my own little world, but I saw that within that, my mom faced a lot of adversity. But she always was just like, man, I just want to work unto the Lord, and I, just, and I just want to keep moving forward. And it's not to say that when she got home behind closed doors that she was pretty, you know, she just was pretty tore up about, you know, having to go through the workplace. What ended up happening was is she, she excelled so well at her job that um, the local community college, they asked her, hey, would you come and teach a class? Would you be an instruct a welding instructor for, uh, for, college-age kids, they're trying to learn the trade. She, began, she was a welding instructor for, for a few years while I was growing up as a, as a young adolescent. But I saw the adversity that she faced, and, and probably all of us, we, we've worked with one person or another, which is just like, for whatever reason, they just don't like you. They, for whatever reason, they just like, they nitpick at everything that you do. And you have the opportunity to kind of probably look at it and be like, man, you screw up just as much as I do and you drop the ball just way more than I do in this area or that. And we have the opportunity to lash back, but it kind of takes strength. It kind of, and it takes that fortitude to say, you know what? I'm gonna kill this person with kindness. 
And people in the South are extremely great at that, actually. There's these wonderful sayings that people will say to you, and it sounds like they're saying something extremely nice to you. But you know, like, oh, they're getting after me, huh? Like, when, some, when you kind of run your mouth, and, and a, a precious lady just goes, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> you know, it stops you in your tracks, and you're like, oh, okay. And it kind of gets you to think. But it's kind of that killing you with kindness thing. And when I was growing up, my, my dad taught me how to fight when I was a little kid. And he said, hey, uh, when you're a young kid and you get in a fight, and my dad was a ruffian. He was a, he was a, he was a rough guy. And so he'd, he'd been in a, a few different fights. He goes, the first thing you got to do, and he's telling an eight-year-old kid this. He goes, the first thing you got to do is you got to kick their legs out from under them. And you got to get them on their knees, and then you got to just like wallop on them. And so as an eight-year-old kid, uh, I got into a fight with two of my uh, cousins and a bunch of other kids at school. And that's exactly what I did. I kicked this, this other kid's legs out from under him and just went to town on him. Luckily, I was only eight, so I didn't have a lot of oomph behind what was going on. Um, but I got in trouble. And I remember going home, and my mom's like, man, why, why'd you do that? I was like, I don't know. Dad just taught me how to fight, and so I thought I'd, I'd try it out. <laughs> I'd put it to the test. And my, my mom, as gracious as she was, she taught me, hey, there's a time and a place for that, but the time and the place isn't every time that you face adversity. The time and the place isn't, isn't that time every, every instance. And so Jesus, he begins to, to kind of unpack this a little bit. He says to, to do good to those who hate you, but he says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other. And for him who takes away your cloak, don't withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away from your goods, do not ask them back. And that really comes from a spirit, not of fear, it doesn't come from a spirit of, of being afraid uh, of the person who you're at, at um, odds with, but it certainly comes from a spirit of generosity. And a lot of times we can equate generosity to, hey, how much money you give to an organization or to a place or, or how much you might go out of your way to donate to this or to that. But a generous heart is someone who says, you know what, if you think you have better use for it than I do, go ahead. I'm cool. I'm solid. And so for us, it's not that we're afraid or that we want to, you know, oh, take everything that I got. Oh, I'm so sorry. And just apologizing and having any sort of like codependency to that sort of abuse. But to see, man, the people that are coming at odds with us, they're broken, just like we are. And oftentimes that adversity comes from people who, who, don't, who probably are lacking within the relationship with God, who are, are in such a broken place where they take the, the opportunity 
to try and, and transfer that onto others. And we know those sorts of people, right? We know those sorts of people that walk around and they're in, in such a bad mood that they just want to transfer that bad mood onto anyone and everyone that they kind of come in contact with. And Jesus says, the best way to combat that, the best way, the, the greatest remedy for that is to be generous to them. And just be like, man, you're having a bad day? Let's sit in that for a moment. Okay, let's let you, you know, say your piece. Let's let you have at it. At the end of the day, did it make them feel any better? Probably not. But does it allow us to feel better when we don't get dragged into that as well? He says, and so he goes on, and, and, and Jesus begins to, uh, uh, to kind of let this thing kind of take its course, and, and he begins to draw these comparisons between those who are following Jesus, those who find themselves in, in, in a spot where the relationship with God gives them stability, where, where they can stand on the truth that Jesus is telling them, and there's a foundation beneath their feet as opposed to those who are in sinking sand. The, uh, because that's basically, uh, as much as we want to, uh, to equate sinners to just bad people, and, and it certainly leads to, you know, our sin leads to bad mistakes, right? Our sin leads to us not achieving the destiny that God would have for us. Um, but even more so, it leads to a lot of instability. The mistakes that we make, uh, they, they kind of just can be like a snowball effect until we lay them at the feet of God and we say, man, God, I've messed my own life up plenty and I need your forgiveness. I need your grace and your mercy. And so he, he begins to compare the, these things. He says, but if you love those who love you, what credit is to you? How hard is it to love the people that love you? It's not very hard. Like, you, nobody's getting brownie points for, I don't get any brownie points for, like, loving, loving my kid because they love me. Like, for, my older girls, the older they get, the kind of the less uh, reciprocal type of, of loving relationship we might have. Uh, but we kind of know what's up, like, uh, I can give my 14-year-old a fist bump and put my arm around her, and it's cool. But then my 8-year-old, she'll just like, she's, and my, my younger fur daughters, my dogs, are even, even more so, and you, and you know this, and this is why we, we love dogs. The moment you open the door when you come home from work, it's the young ones that run to you and like put their arms around you. And it's like, it's super easy to be like, oh, this is awesome, this is great. But it's no credit to us that we, we love the people that love us. That's just what we do. That's just what we, we ought to do. And, and, and there's not really, it's not quite as hard, even for our own kids. And we, we know that the, the, older, the older you get with kids, the more you realize, man, there's a lot of things that just make us scratch our heads, that make us just on our knees at, at night, just praying for our kids, and that just make us sometimes want to pull our hair out. But we love them so much, it, it, it comes naturally. Even my dad, last Sunday was my dad's birthday, and after church I went home, and I called him on my way home after lunch. I ended up sitting out in my truck for about an hour talking to him. And my dad's not the sort of person who, he's not all gushy, lovey-dovey, and, and he's not one to like give you like hugs or anything like that. Um, but he's like, you know that when he says, it's good talking to you, like that's, 
that's it right there. That's that, that reciprocal, oh, I know that my dad loves me. And he's, you know, and I've, I've, I've pressed him on that when I was younger, when I like, was really desperate for those things. But I know now, like when, it, when my dad's like, hey, it's good talking to you. Hey, you need to come on up here and we can go fishing. It's like, oh, I know, like, that makes sense. That's easy math in knowing that people love us. But then he's, he's like, hey, even people that are far from God, it's really easy for them to love the people that, that love them. And he says, even, even if you lend to those whom you hope to receive back, what credit is you? If you, if you lend money out to people and you're like, hey, you're going to pay me back, right? Okay, cool, great. Like, what credit is that to you? When I was 19 years old, I remember I was just kind of running a little ragged, and I thought to myself, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just pack up my bags, and I'm going to move to California. And that was like kind of a dream when I was a kid. Uh, me and my buddy, uh, he's the best man in my wedding. His name's Kenny. We always had dreamt about that in high school. Oh, we're just going to like pack up our bags, we're going to go, we're going to like get like just some little like uh, trailer down by the beach and just like be beach bums for like our early, like our late teens, early 20s, that's going to be the life. And so I went to my, my uh, other buddy's dad, his name's Jerry, Jerry Rainey, and I, I asked him, I go, hey, uh, would you lend me 50 bucks? And he goes, yeah, sure, what do you need 50 bucks for? And I'm a dumb 19-year-old kid, and I thought, I need 50 bucks for gas money to drive down to California. I had an 86 Buick Skylark, and it got little to no gas mileage at all. And so um, he's like, yeah, cool. He goes, are, are you sure that's all you need? And I go, yeah, I think so. Because, you know, I, I was, again, a dumb 19-year-old kid. I put two bucks in my tank every day to buy a gallon of gas, and it got me around town. And, and I thought, ah, 50 bucks, that'll get me there. 50 bucks got me like about an hour north of the grapevine, which if you've ever driven down I-5, an hour north of the grapevine is like the middle of nowhere. It just smells like cow crap and it's just like horrible and it's just dusty. And I got there and that's about as far as I got as a 19 year old kid in an 86 Buick Skylark. And I remember a highway patrolman coming and he's like, what is wrong with you? what is wrong with you? And I was like, oh, I'm just high on life and I'm going to move to California and I'm going to crash at my buddy's house and all this stuff. And I remember having to call my parents and they had to call AAA every, every couple hours that night because AAA would come out and they'd bring you two gallons of gas. And they would bring two gallons of gas, put it in your car, and then I would drive to the nearest gas station and I would call my mom and she would call the gas station and over the phone she'd pay with her credit card uh, to fill up my tank. And she had to do that about three times over the night. And she's like, you could tell the tone in her voice was like, you are the dumbest kid ever. Like, what are you doing? But at... 11 in the, in the evening, and then 2 in the morning, and then 4 in the morning. It got to the point where I finally got back in, into Oregon. That's where I, where I grew up and lived. And I was kind of delirious at that time, and I stopped at this gas station, and I just said, uh, oh yeah, fill her up. And I hadn't called my mom yet <laughs> to have them do the whole 
dog and pony show of paying for it. And then they're like, hey, how are you going to pay for this? I was like, oh, my mom's going to pay for it. Where is your mom? Oh, she's at home. She's going to call. And I'm like, oh, crap. I didn't do all this, like, jump through all the hoops. And they're like, uh, we're going to call the cops. You're stealing gas from us. And I was like, no, 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 no. My mom, they said, you can't leave this place. We're not going to take a credit card over the phone. We're not going to do any of that. My mom had to drive an hour south to pick me up and follow me home. And I finally got home after being up for two days trying to move all my crap to California when I was 19. And I got home and my parents looked at me and they're real, like, you're dumb. And I went and crashed and, and got some sleep. But I remember going to my buddy's dad, Jerry, and I go, hey, um, I didn't make it. <laughs> and I owe you 50 bucks. And he goes, Oh, I knew you wouldn't make it. He goes, this was worth the price of admission. You don't have to pay me anything. <laughs> like, you don't have to pay me back. I was like, no, I want to. Like, I'll, I'll do whatever work you need me to do or anything. He's like, don't worry about it. And I just remember the generosity of someone knowing, like, I am throwing my money away at this dumb kid. And, and, and we, we, we do it too. Like, when... Uh, as my kids were younger, we used to take a bunch of like 10 $1 bills and we'd drive around town and my kids just loved to give money to people that were homeless on the, on the, uh, on the sidewalk with the signs out. And as an older guy, I'm thinking, these guys are gonna do something dumb with it. Like, they're just like, what, what's the point? But I never voiced that, praise God, because my kids were just like, this is so fun, this is great. And it really, like, it was a little convicting to me. And so we ended up doing that all the time as my kids were really young, and they, they still remember it to this day. And, and they understand kind of how those things work a little bit more now, and so they're, they're not super prone um, to, like, just want to offer money to people. Um, but there's still that kind of generous heart that has been instilled in them. So he says, therefore, be merciful just as your father is also merciful. So he says, hey, you can, anybody can do all these good things to, you know, to people that, you know, you like. Anybody can do all these, these good things when you know that you're going to get back what you put in. Anybody can do all these, these good things when you know that it's going to benefit you. Um, but what about when it doesn't necessarily benefit you? And that really is kind of the concept of mercy. It, it, having, extending mercy to people isn't for your own benefit. It's for the hope that it would benefit them. It's for the hope that they would see the graciousness in such an act and it would, it would change and shape their heart and their life. And we see that displayed in the life of Jesus. Later on in the New Testament, it says that even while we were still sinners, so even when we were these guys that were doing all these good things, but we do it to you know, reap the benefits of those things, or we do it because it's really easy to do it to people who like us or, or whatever. But it says that even when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
That's the greatest act of mercy that we could experience, that we could see on display, is that Jesus Christ, he was perfect. He was without sin. He fulfilled the destiny that he had that the Father willed for him. And that destiny was that he would graciously and mercifully be placed upon the cross and die in our place for our sin so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be free from the penalty of our sin. That uh, all of the stuff that would just hold us back from living a life with God. That is this awesome display of mercy. Just as also as your Father is merciful to you. So, and, and he closes, uh, we close today by reading him say, Judge not. And you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will it be in your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So now he gives us this equation of, hey, what does it look like for us to not be judgmental? What does it look like for us to not be condemning? What does it look like for us to forgive? And what does it look like for us to be generous, to give? Those four things are attributes of the follower of Jesus. What's crazy and what's heartbreaking in all of that is if you begin to Google, why are Christians... And then you let Google kind of auto-populate, you know, if you start typing in to the, the internet search things, it'll auto-populate below. It says, why are Christians, kind of the first thing, one of the things that's right at the top of that is, why are Christians so judgmental? Right? And man, that sucks. That sucks that that would be how we might be characterized. But Jesus is saying, hey, we don't have to be characterized that way at all. It says, judge not, lest you be judged. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. And it doesn't mean that we just walk around and we be like, oh, every, different strokes for different folks, anything that you want to do under the sun is totally okay. That's not what Jesus is saying. There's definitely lines that Jesus draws. But he's saying, hey, just because people are doing things that are messing up their life doesn't mean that you need to throw judgment and condemnation on them. Ultimately, God is the judge. And we got to let God be God and judge people accordingly. And he, judge pe he judges people through the lens of Jesus' righteousness and through an economy of grace and mercy. And, that's how, and, and yet he is just and he is he is fair and he is truthful. And so for us, we gotta, we gotta leave that responsibility to God and, and take Jesus at what he says and say, hey, let, let, let's not be judgmental towards people because we don't want people to judge us because we see how that happens, right? We see how people from the outside looking in are really critical of followers of Jesus. But sometimes we bring that on to ourselves because we ourselves are the ones who are judging those around us. We are the ones sometimes that are condemning of those around us. And, we, and, and that's really difficult. It's, really, it, it, it's easier said than done to not 
judge the people around us, to not be condemning to those around us when we see people just totally screwing up their lives. But I remember as a dumb 19-year-old kid who was doing stupid stuff to screw up his life, remember Jerry Rainey not being one to condemn me, but one to be generous to me, one to be forgiving towards me. So much so that a little bit later down the road, there was kind of some controversy that, that, uh, that kind of came into play. And I was, I was actually living at his house at that time. I was, I was 20 years old. I was in college, and I was living at uh, the Rainey's house. And he, he kind of heard some word on the street, and he got it, and, and he, he came home, and he's like, hey, dude, you got to pack your bags. You got to get out of here. And I was like, what? Huh? What's going on? And he goes, yeah, you got to go. And it was just like this knee-jerk reaction. You got to go. And he had heard some, some rumor that, wasn't, that ended up not being true at all. And he, I remember he came back about a week later, and he goes, hey, I'm super sorry. I had this knee-jerk reaction, and, and, and I reacted in a way where I, I gave you the boot, and, and that, was, that wasn't the right thing to do. And because of all of that, him extending mercy and grace and everything to me, as a, as a dumb 19-year-old kid, it was the power of God in me that was like, man, I totally forgive you. Like, I was butthurt then, and I was just like, ah, what, what are you doing? Like, you know, why are these people putting my name in their mouth and saying these bad things? Like, don't do that. But I just like, ah, okay. And that was totally what God wants for us. He wants us to be in a way where we're not, we, we might find ourselves in those knee-jerk reaction areas, and, and especially sometimes it's the people that we, we love the most, that we, that we are most comfortable with, that we have those knee-jerk reactions. But to be able to circle back around and, and, and operate within a, an economy of grace and mercy and forgiveness and generosity, and, and that which we say, hey, we don't want to condemn, we don't want to judge one another. Can we be a, a people of God like that? Can we be a people of God that, where as we see the world unraveling, instead of just having, you know, just a, living in that dog-eat-dog world, and, and mass media wants that for us, right? Mass media and, and, and all the propaganda around all that stuff, they, they want us to be in contention with those in which we do not see eye-to-eye -eye with. And it's so incredibly easy to do that. But what does it look like and where are we going to get if we continue to operate in that cyclical cycle of just animosity? Who is going to be the one who says, you know what? I'm just going to put the judgment away. I'm going to put the condemnation away. And I'm going to, I'm going to be willing to forgive. I'm going to, I'm going to be open to give generously of, of my time and my effort of my love and my care and of my energy to see something good happen in our lives. He, he closes in our text today, he says, for with the same measure that you use it, it will be measured back to you. Uh, that's probably something that we need to take to the bank. 
and the bank of, of that economy of mercy and grace with God is that the way in which we live our lives and the way that we judge or condemn or forgive or are generous, that's, that's the same measure in which God is, is going to deal with us too. Uh, and we shouldn't take that lightly. And, and oftentimes, sometimes we do that. Sometimes we want all the grace and the mercy from God, um, but it's really easy to not necessarily always want to extend that, whether it's to our kids, whether it's to our coworkers, or whether it's to our straight-up enemies. Sometimes we hold everyone else a lot more accountable to those things than we want to hold ourselves in relation with God. And so this week, I would just challenge you that, to take all that and, and to consider that. Where are the areas in which I might be judgmental? Maybe it's towards my coworkers. Maybe it's towards my spouse. Maybe it's towards my neighbors. I mean, I, there's plenty of people around us for us to kind of point the finger and for us to be like, ah, they're not doing that the way they should. And we can make those assessments in our mind, and, but we have to reconcile those assessments and say, you know what, it's not my place, it's not my place to judge, it's not my place to, to you know, bring animosity into that. Same goes with condemning people. There's plenty of people that we come across who are like, you are doing it wrong. You are a dumb 19-year-old kid and you are making stupid decisions. And I'm kind of grateful in my own predicament that nobody beat me up over that. Uh, even my parents who stayed up all night doing the AAA thing, even the guy who lent me 50 bucks, even my, even my friends who I came back and, and they're like, hey, I thought you were moving to California. <laughs> Luckily I did, but it was in a much better, greater context of things two years later. And it was, it was much better for me and everyone else. But when you find yourself in that predicament, it's great when nobody condemns you. There's plenty of people that we might find or we might see or observe in, in predicaments like that. Are we going to be ones that extend grace and mercy? Or are we going to be ones that just kind of be like, yeah, you brought this on yourself. Tough luck, Chuck. Are we going to be those who are willing to forgive and be generous? So we kind of hold back that judgment and that con condemnation and we lean into forgiveness and generosity. Those, those things don't necessarily come natural. Those aren't natural tendencies for any of us. And that is the proof, that's the evidence of God working in and through our lives, right? Is that in the instances where there is that adversity, where there is that animosity, when we can withhold those things that can be so hurtful, and we can, we can put out, we can extend those things that can sometimes be so challenging, that is God working in and through our lives. That is the evidence of the Spirit of God living in us and empowering us to live according to His ways. I love how Jesus 
takes these 30 verses here in Luke 6, and he begins to summarize what it looks like to live a, a, in a, within a Christian ethic, within a Christian way of living. And I'm, I'm really grateful that it's within that economy of grace and mercy, operating in a way where we forgive and we're generous to those around us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we have to consider your word. And God, we could probably look back at our life and there's plenty of things that don't go our way, but there are instances too where it seems like just all hell should have been brought onto us. And yet, somehow we were spared. God, may we acknowledge and may we come to may we reconcile our thoughts to, 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 to know that God that's your grace and that's your mercy working in and through our lives that yet while we were still sinners yet while we were still far from you yet while we had no desire to operate within the destiny that you had called and the purpose and the plan that you would have for our lives even in the midst of that God you place people in our lives that love us that are generous towards us that don't judge us or condemn us God and Lord, ultimately, that's an expression of you. That's an expression of who you are. God, the, the, the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God, you are operating in a way amongst your people and throughout this world where it is contrary to all the adversity we might face. God, help us to see that there is opportunity for us to, to operate in that way. Help us to see where we can be less judgmental and more generous, where we can be less condemning and more forgiving um, because, God, that's what you've extended to us and we want to be like you. We ask and we pray, Lord, that you'd bless this time. Help us to see, Lord, that, you are not, uh, that you're not weak, but you are, you are strong and you are confident in who you are. And God, we can be confident in who we are in you and walk victoriously in that. We ask and we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. There are more donuts. And uh, grab one and enjoy it. So take care.